0: This Moment Outdoors is brought to you by L.L. Bean, official partner of the National Park Foundation for the Find Your Park movement. This week, does Benadryl really stop snakebite venom? Is it bad to store batteries on concrete? Can you really dump gray water on public lands? We look for the right and wrong in our third edition of RV Mythbusting. This is RV Miles. Episode 123 of RV Miles. I'm Jason.
1: And I'm Abby. And we are two full-time travelers who, along with our boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, crisscross North America on one epic road trip. Each week, we talk all things RV and outdoors, from travel destinations to gear, industry news, our national parks, and a whole lot more.
0: You're not imagining things.
1: I am not Kathleen (laughs) Turner.
0: Abby's voice. (laughs) (laughs) Abby's voice has dropped an octave.
1: I feel like all of a sudden I should be in a production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf?
0: She's not. (laughs) She's not feeling so well today. No, Um, no.
1: (laughs) This is is all very too familiar from over the summer. I'm slowly losing my voice. If I have it tomorrow, it'll be a miracle.
0: We're staying at Abby's parents in Kansas City for the holidays and... The illness has been going around and it's Abby's turn.
1: Yeah, it is the season (laughs) for everyone to get sick. It's amazing. We rolled in and within 24 hours, I think my dad had been diagnosed with bronchitis. And then thankfully, no one has developed bronchitis. Like our illnesses have been very short lived and, you know, just a common cold. But for whatever reason, mine tend to settle in my throat, which, you know, is great when half your job is talking all week long. So, uh, I am a little under the weather and I may not be around as much today.
0: Yeah. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do the the bulk of the talking here on this episode. Hopefully
1: something you're not used to doing (laughs) generally not the most talkative one in the room.
0: Well, I want to start off with something a little bit fun. So this is this involves me talking and you reacting. So uh, I'm so really good at that. that.
1: I'm really, well, you saw, I had some solid reactions last <laughs> night when we were, we finally got around to playing that game. Um, what do you mean? I fresh tanked that a few weeks ago and yeah. we had, oh. we had four friends four of my high school friends came over last night and we sat around the table and played the game and I made the mistake of telling Jack, our 12 year old, that he was going to be able to play. No, and no, I thought it said no, 12 and older. No. And let me tell you, if I said that on the podcast, I'm going to walk that back right now because <laughs> that game is not for 12 and older. If
0: anyone has played cards against humanity, it is exactly that, except for Ex- instead of lining up two cards with words on them, you line up a picture, a meme. With a caption to it.
1: No, I will say (laughs) I think that this is like Cards Against Humanity light
0: with the cards. Quite as it's not.
1: No, there was only one pack, you know, of of cards in the whole different decks that they had that. You
0: know, we're kind of the mature content. Yeah, they, they separate the raunchiest yeah. of the raunchy out for you to like decide if you want to add yeah. them in. So But the the regular deck is still R rated. It
1: is. I mean, and so the raunchy of the raunchy were the ones everyone kept drawing because they, they're just hilarious. But anyway, I I have no idea how we got to this conversation, but let's bounce back to whatever I'm supposed to be reacting to. Okay,
0: well, you know, this, this is, uh, I guess we're a little bit past the age of Yelp now. I think Yelp is kind of going down downhill a a bit. Yelp um, who dis, that's what
1: Yelp is now.
0: (laughs) We are in the age of internet reviews, but before internet reviews, there were comment cards, right? Comment cards ruled the roost for customer feedback.
1: Oh, comment cards.
0: So I have a list and, you know, most of the the federal government is still back in the comment card age. So I have a list here of actual comments left on U.S. Forest Service registration sheets uh, that are, you know, suggestions for how things can be improved. These are cards left by backpackers or other campers on wilderness camping trips. Right. All right. Here we go. A small deer came into my camp and stole my bag of pickles. Is there a way I can get reimbursed? Please call.
1: (laughs) I didn't know my mom went camping. (laughs) (laughs) My mom has taken to, I thought my mom liked pickles and now my mom has taken eating pickles to a whole new level. So
0: she also gave it to McDonald's pretty good over the phone oh, yeah, the she other did. day she took, she, for a mistaken order.
1: She took them to church. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So a small deer has eaten this person's pickles. Did they leave a number? They didn't apparently. Okay. All right. I hope that the forest service got back to them. That <laughs> would have been rude.
0: Escalators would help on steep uphill sections. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> I hey, feel At that Angels one. Landing, Look. can we put in an ex- escalator
1: and a zip line going down, please?
0: <laughs> Instead of a permit system or regulations, the Forest Service needs to reduce worldwide population growth to limit the number of visitors to wilderness. So is basically, that, is they, that <laughs> they need to hire Thanos, snap for, that, to be the head of there. the U.S. Forest Service. Okay.
1: Just snap, just just half the population. As gone. a matter
0: of fact, next president, let's just put. Yeah, Thanos as the head of the Department of the Interior. Yeah, right. That
1: that makes sense.
0: <laughs> Trails need to be wider so people can walk while holding Stop. hands. <laughs> now, if you think any of these are fake, I, I guarantee you that one is real. Someone left that one.
1: I didn't. They, I didn't know be, they got my comment card.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Trails, need, that is not you. No.
1: Tra- don't hold my hand while we're walking. Like,
0: this is we where Abby and I are the same on this, by the way. Hand holding, snuggling in bed, like holding hands at a movie theater. Get out of here with that. In the car, any of that stuff. It's like one minute, I'm done. Not even one minute. It's if like, that.
1: It's like, okay, you're here. Okay, good. No, don't touch me and anymore. Your hand's sweaty now. It's over. Oh, no. We don't hold hands on the trail. No. <laughs>
0: Ban walking sticks in the wilderness. Hikers that use walking sticks are more likely to chase animals. I have
1: been saying this for years. (laughs) Nothing makes me want to chase an animal more like holding a walking stick.
0: Yeah, because the people that need help walking are the ones (laughs) that are chasing animals. Who chases animals?
1: I don't know. I'm sure there's a YouTube video out there somewhere about this.
0: All the mile markers are missing this year.
1: Or are you on the wrong trail? (laughs) Let's be real about this. You probably just made your own trail somewhere and we're not where you should have been.
0: Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. I don't. You want all your national forests. They want them to, to all be, go downhill to, to be in Kansas. <laughs> just,
1: no, they want all the trails to constantly be going downhill. Yeah, downhill. They're the Perfect. opposite of the person who had to walk uphill to get to school and walk uphill to get home from well, school. Well, maybe we
0: need gondolas. We need like chairlifts like like uh, ski resorts. I you know, get you to the top and then you're downhill the whole the whole way.
1: <laughs> Whatever we can do to keep exercise out of our national parks as
0: much as possible apparently. Too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Stop it. I can't.
1: Anybody got some Roundup? Please get rid of
0: the pests in the wilderness. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Roundup. Get some Roundup out there. Please pave the trails so they can be plowed of snow in the winter. Mm, Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, speaking of, speaking, speaking of, of. Chair lifts, need to be in some places so that we can get to wonderful views without having to hike to them. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there
1: you go. Right there. That is such a perfect quote for how a large number of people would like to experience national parks. Exactly. And it it makes me a little sad.
0: The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals.
1: Look, there was a party going on and she's just mad because she wasn't invited. I'm assuming it's a woman. I shouldn't assume anything could be a man. It could be another animal that didn't get invited to the coyote party.
0: I don't know. (laughs) Reflectors need to be placed on trees every 50 feet so people can hike at night with flashlights. Stop it. You know, hiking at night is fun with flashlights. But you yeah, don't need I really a loved that.
1: <laughs> I really loved that one night hike you, we went on that you, one time.
0: Why do you need the reflector? Are you going to run into the tree? <laughs> Get out of here.
1: <laughs> Watch out for that big tree over there. Um, um, Stop. I see the one you're about to read. Get Mc, out of here.
0: A McDonald's would be nice.
1: And everybody needs a good Ron's Deli from time to time. Also, I heard my dad refer to McDonald's the other night as Ron's Deli. I'd never heard of that before. He said he
0: has been calling it that all his he life. He says, I have. you're just now catching on I to it.
1: So. don't listen to them very often, I guess. But like, <laughs> but like, I remember very specifically when I was, when I did my backcountry hike through Rocky Mountain National Park. Now I was much younger when I did this as a teenager. And the last two days, all we talked about was what we were going to eat at McDonald's when we got out <laughs> because we were so ready for I was like, I will be having my my huge, which is the two cheeseburger meal. Hold the pickle, give me some fries. And at the time when I could still afford to drink Coke with calories, I was like, I'll take that Coke with calories. That's always Coke,
0: Coke. Give me that Coke with calories. My mom went to the Netherlands for a month, and my mom never, never goes to McDonald's. That's all she ate. I don't understand
1: that because the ne- the Netherlands isn't not like their food is so just off the mark I, from something I, you would get here.
0: Apparently, I to her, this was before my mom was a chef, so you know it's it's a whole nother story. The places where trails do not exist are not well marked. (laughs) Stop it. Yeah. Yeah, You know what? Actually,
1: they're so well marked that you knew that they were not the trail. (laughs) Like you just contradict your own comment there. (laughs) The trail markings are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And that's to keep you on the trail.
0: And finally, my favorite. There are too many rocks. In the mountains.
1: Those damn rocks. They're just everywhere. Constant. They're always around. I cannot stand going into nature and seeing rocks. Really, it's it's too much. It's just too much. This is amazing.
0: I love that. So we've got a awesome show for you today, though. We've got a whole lot of fun. Our popular RV myth busting segment is back, and we've got a lot of RV and camping related myths to bust.
1: I know. And I hope, Jason, you did a little like podcast vocal warm-up because this, <laughs> you cause, talking? Cause this is talking. Because that's gonna be Jay heavy in this <laughs> next section. I'm gonna back off for a little bit.
0: All right, we're gonna take a break and when we come back, we'll have the RV myth busting segment and the answer to last week's brain teaser. RV Miles is brought to you by Victorinox. You know the brand Victorinox Swiss Army. They make the iconic red Swiss Army knife. But did you know that they also make best-in-class kitchen knives, luggage, fragrance, and Swiss-made watches? Founded in Switzerland in 1884 and still owned and operated by the family who invented the Swiss Army knife over 130 years ago, the classic red Swiss Army knife is still as functional as it was then. But now you can browse hundreds of styles from the rescue tool designed with first responders to get out of a vehicle safely to the wine master designed specifically to open a bottle of wine. Travel gear ranging from suitcases to backpacks for a quick weekend getaway or a week-long trip. Victorinox makes such a wide range of trusted products. Find the perfect companion for your next adventure. Visit Victorinox.com and save 15% using code RV15. That's victornox.com and code RV15 to save 15% now through December 31st. Some exclusions apply. All right, we are back with the answer to last week's brain teaser, which went like this. You are imprisoned within a small jail cell. Your cellmate is a large monkey that is blind in one eye and does not have all its fingers on one hand. Your captors turn to you and say, do you feel more sorry because of the monkey's eye or hand? If you answer correctly, we'll set you free. And the answer is I, the monkey's hand is normal. Its fingers should be equally spread over two hands. So it's okay that it does not have all of its fingers on one hand. It's a little tricky there. Sorry, but that's the answer. (laughs) Our winner is Lawrence T. from Illinois, who will receive a Keep in Those RV Miles t-shirt, and you'll have a chance to win one for yourself with the new Brain Teaser at the end of the show. All right, we talked about it (laughs) at the break there. And, uh, Abby's just not up to doing the segment. So I'm going to do the RV myth busting segment here on my own. Just going to be you and me burning the midnight oil (laughs) and I'll bring Abby back for the fresh tank, black tank at the end of the show. All right. Everybody cool with that. Good. I can't hear you. So it doesn't matter what you said. So (laughs) let's jump right in to some RV myths. You know, there are lots of different things out there that people say work and don't work for all sorts of things, lots of things that you should do and that you shouldn't do. And a lot of them are old wives tales. A lot of them uh, are are just things that have come up through the ether that have been passed around campgrounds that have been passed around Facebook groups. And some of them are things that did mean something or did work in the past and don't work today. So I've got a whole list of stuff here that I want to go through that's been on my mind lately, things that I've just been collecting over time so we could get to another RV myth-busting segment. So without further ado, here we go. You may have heard the myth that RV keys, the keys that you open your doors with, are all the same, that my key to my RV is going to go open the door to your RV. But is it true? Well, the answer is yes and no. RV door locks are all able to be opened with a master key that dealers have. So a dealer can go around their lot. They have this master key that can open up all the different RVs on the lots. Just one key that that can do it. And they even have a name for it. It's the CH751 key and it will open the doors and it will open the, uh, the storage base on all the RVs on the lot. Now, does that mean that my key is going to open your RV? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> um, the RV that I own, I can't speak for others, does not have a CH751 key. Um, and the reason for this is it's it, it, the, a master key is not the same thing as as a standard key. They both work in the same lock, but even though a master key will work in every RV, that doesn't mean that my key is also going to work in every RV, okay? But that doesn't mean there aren't people out there that have this key that can open your RV at any time they want. So what do you do about it? Well, your deadbolt lock is not keyed the same. Have you ever noticed that on a dealership's lot, if you've walked through a dealership with a dealer, that they don't lock the deadbolts on any of the RVs? That's why. is that the deadbolts are all keyed differently. So your deadbolt's fine. If you lock that every night or at any time you want to keep your door secure, you'll be fine. But your storage bays, more likely that anybody can come and open those up at any time. So one thing you can do is change out those locks on your storage bays. Usually, they're a real simple, easy to change barrel lock. And then you can avoid just using that regular lock on your door All the time we absolutely never use the regular lock on our door except at night we might flip it at the same time as we flip the deadbolt but for the most part we just lock the deadbolt and that's that's what we do you know it's it's not that much of a, a difference because honestly if you don't lock the deadbolt it is incredibly even without a key it is incredibly easy to open the door to an rv So you're not keeping it safe anyway whatsoever. So feel free to be happy with the keys that you have. Lock your deadbolt. And if you really want to, um, first of all, don't store anything that is really expensive or that you don't mind losing in your storage bays. Because those can be easily broken into even if you do change the lock or not. And honestly, that's why they don't care. Why they don't key all the storage bays differently on all the different RVs is because those rotary Barrel locks are so simple to bust anyway. I Maybe mean, you just jam a screwdriver under the door and pop it open and there, there's really nothing anybody can do about it. So especially when you're storing your RV for the winter, make sure you take anything out of those storage bays that you don't want to lose. In fact, I recommend leaving them unlocked so that your locks don't get broken if somebody actually decided to try to get in to your storage base. All right, myth number two. You may have heard about this popular suggestion for how to get rid of anything that is on the walls of your black tank that might be covering up sensors that tell you if your black tank is full or not we all have issues with the sensors in our black tank being accurate and that's because things like toilet paper get stuck to them and it reads full even if it's empty so one of the most popular suggestions to get rid of that stuff is to go buy a big bag of ice, pour it down your black tank, and drive for 20 miles. And apparently, the sloshing around of the ice is going to break up all that stuff on the walls and is going to help clean out your black tank. Sounds plausible, doesn't it? Well, is it true? No. Our friends over at the Fit RV did a video of this. It's a really actually well-done video. They built a clear black tank and put it in the back of a pickup truck. And, and uh, how do I say this politely? Um, they simulated waste <laughs> in the base of this black tank. And they drove it around in the back of the pickup truck with the ice in it to see if the ice made any difference. They drove it like a maniac, right? They drove it so it would slosh around and go everywhere. And in the end, it really didn't do anything. And even if it did a little bit of stuff... They had to drive it so hard to get it to slosh up the sides that it's absolutely not worth it. There's no way that you would ever drive your RV that way, particularly if it's a trailer. There's no way that you would be driving your RV in a way that would make the ice slosh around in there enough that it would get rid of anything on the walls. So totally, totally busted. So what do you do instead? The best thing you can do is use a black tank flush. Uh, whether that be a built-in black tank flush or the wands that you can drop into the toilet and spray around inside. You can buy those at any camping world, or you can buy it at Amazon. Those work like magic and they can really spray everything off. As it happens, the Fit RV actually took that same black tank and did another video, that same clear black tank mock-up, and did another video testing out black tank flush systems i'll link to i'll put a embed these both in the show notes so you can check them out the they tested those systems where you can hook your hose uh, a water hose to uh, the the outlet of your rv tank it's like sort of like a clear elbow back flush that you can use and frankly it didn't work at all to, bl- to flush the tank out at all what did work was built-in black tank flushes. So if you have a built-in black tank flush, that those sorts of things sort of uh, rotate around and spray every direction, those work really well. Also the wand that you can drop into the toilet, that obviously works really well. The other thing that works well is just filling your tank and flushing it a few times and making sure that you're using lots and lots of water every time. A lot of people don't know this. People, There are people that buy RVs and have never been shown how to use on an RV toilet. And maybe you're listening and you, and you actually don't know this, but you're actually supposed to fill the bowl with water before, uh, again, how to say it delicately, before uh, any solid activities. You want to fill the bowl with water. That's why if you press the lever down just a little bit, your bowl will fill without the door opening that drops all the water out, right? So you fill it up, and then when you go after you go, then you flush it, and it all goes down with it. And then you keep adding water. Let that water go. I know we never want to fill our black tank too fast, especially for boondocking. We don't want to dump often and stuff like that. But the more water you use, the less likely that you are going to have issues with your sensor or issues with Clogs, which obviously nobody ever wants. Another interesting suggestion that I've seen, and I haven't tried this out yet, but this suggestion came from an RV uh, uh, technician at a dealership. And he said to take a five gallon bucket and fill it as close to the top as you can, uh, where it's still liftable with hot water. Pour that hot water down in your tank and just let it sit there. You could just do two or three gallons as well. But if you pour that hot water down and let it sit in the bottom of your tank, what that's going to do is steam the walls. So if you've got toilet paper that has hardened onto the walls anywhere, onto your sensors, it's going to help release that. After you then flush that, then you can fill and flush again. The thing you always want to do is fill and flush. Every time you dump that black tank, fill it up and flush it again. All right. Myth number three. 40% of body heat is lost through your head. We've all heard this growing up, that you lose most of your body heat through your head, and that's why you always have to wear a hat at all times when it's cold outside. Apparently, that is absolutely not true in any way whatsoever. You don't lose any more heat out of the surface area of your head than you do on any other part of your body. In fact, your hair helps keep your head warm. If you're bald, of course, you don't have that. but Actually, it's about 10% of body heat that we lose through the top of your head. So if you don't think you need to wear a hat because you're one of those people that just doesn't like hats and you sweat from the top of your head, it's absolutely fine. You don't need to wear a hat. You're not going to catch a cold. And we don't catch colds from temperature differences anyway. So feel free to not wear a hat if you don't want to. All right. Everybody that owns a trailer has been told to cross the chains, the safety chains, to create a basket that will catch the trailer if it ever pops off of the hitch. The trailer hitch will land in that cross and will keep them, and will keep it from banging against the ground. Most people that have actually hooked up a trailer have looked at that from time to time and thought, is that really true? I'm going to keep doing it anyway, but is that really true? It doesn't really make any sense because it doesn't look like that this hitch will ever fall into that cross. And the truth is, no, it it is not true. Crossing your chains in no way catches the trailer in a basket so that it doesn't hit the ground. However, in most states, it is still the law that you must cross your chains. And it is still an important, important, important thing to do. Here's why. When your trailer gets released from the hitch in an emergency, God forbid that ever happens. But say your trailer gets released from your hitch. You want your chains to be as short as possible because that's going to keep your trailer from swaying wildly across the highway or you know, from flipping over and, and, uh, and jackknifing and uh, causing a really major, major accident. The shorter those chains are, the better. They need to have enough slack so that you can turn fully. You can have a full extension of turn left and right but you don't want them to be so long as to where when there's a release that that truck cannot control that trailer at all anymore, even to a stop. So you want to make sure that the trailer chains are the right length for your trailer, for where they're connected to your trailer. You still want to cross them. You do not want to twist them. However, some people twist them to shorten them up. That's a bad idea. Just cross them like normal and, and you'll be fine. Now, some trailers, you cannot cross the chains. And ours is one of those. On our trailer, the chains are connected at one point. It is absolutely impossible to cross the chains because they're connected at one point. If you cross them, they just flip sides. It doesn't make a difference. So uh, it's not always the case that you have to cross your chains because you might not be able to. But for the most part, you should. But it doesn't do anything to create a basket to catch your RV. Next Smith, I've seen this article going around and around and around and around, and it's been driving me crazy. It's an article with a headline that says, Did you know that veterans can get free national parks passes? Now, as great as I think it would be if all veterans could get a free pass to national parks, it's simply not true. Not at all. What they're talking about in that article, if you actually click through it and read it, is the Access Pass, which is the pass for disabled people. The Access Pass is, of course, available to veterans. It's also available to anybody with a disability, anybody with a disability at any level. You don't have to be 100% disabled. It just has to be a permanent disability. But it's not just available to veterans. It's available to anybody with a disability. Now, I think where the confusion came in is that Veterans can use their VA rating if they are disabled to apply for one of these passes. And, uh, and this is an article that was just trying to spread that information. But unfortunately, I think a lot of people have taken it to mean veterans can get national park passes for free. And that's not true. However, active duty military can get a free pass. Active duty military and their dependents can get a free annual pass. To federal lands, including National Park Service, but also including Fish and Wildlife and Army Corps of Engineers and all those. We have created a video on the RV Miles YouTube page explaining all the different national park and federal lands passes that are available because there's a lot of confusion that does come into this. Uh, Which pass should you get? How much does it cost? Which passes are available to you? What are they good for? Uh, I will put a link to that in the show notes as well, but you can also just go check it out on the RV Miles YouTube channel, and we'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the channel while you're over there. Okay, next myth. It's that time of the year when lots of people are winterizing their RVs, and one of the things that most people do, uh, or if you don't, you probably should think about doing, when they winterize their RV is removing the battery and bringing it into their garage and putting it on a battery tender through the winter, or a trickle charger, you might have heard it called, to keep your battery topped off throughout the winter. Because the longer a battery is dead, the more capacity it loses over time. So it is important to keep your batteries charged as much as possible. Do not leave them in the RV, in storage, uncharged throughout the winter. It's a bad, bad idea, and they do continue to lose a charge all the time, even without you not using them. Just disconnecting them is not enough. But what should you do with your battery when you've disconnected it? Well, one thing that a lot of people say not to do is not to leave your battery sitting on concrete. Because the concrete actually helps drain the battery. So we wanted to find out if there was any truth to that matter. And what we found out was that there used to be. In fact, uh, it used to be a, a very important piece of advice because... Batteries used to be made in wood cases, and when batteries were in wood cases, the moisture from concrete would actually infiltrate into the battery and help the wood rot faster, making the batteries leak out. Then, years later, when batteries encased in metal were invented, the same thing would happen. They weren't 100% leak-proof, and the moisture from concrete would help batteries rust and would help them leak out faster. But today, our batteries are all encased in plastic, and plastic is absolutely impervious to that. What's more, concrete actually acts as an insulator, and it sort of helps your batteries stay at the same temperature because temperature differences, when it gets really hot and really cold quickly, can really do some damage to your battery. And cold is always better for batteries than hot. Batteries don't work as well in the cold, but they store better in the cold and concrete will help keep them cooler so there's no reason not to put your batteries on concrete in your garage and in fact it could be good for them okay here's a new one to me this has been a popular sentiment that has been going around through campers and hikers and 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 all sorts of outdoor communities the myth that you should start carrying benadryl around with you when you're camping anywhere that there would be poisonous snakes because Benadryl is what they're going to give you in the hospital anyway. And when you have all these sorts of symptoms, they're going to give you other medications. But Benadryl is a good first start to help you on the way and help give you more time to get to the hospital. Unfortunately, it's entirely not true. We checked with the people at the Snakebite Foundation and uh, they pointed us to an article they have on snakebitefoundation.org from Dr. Nick Brandehoff, who is an emergency physician and a medical toxicologist. And he says that Benadryl does absolutely nothing for a snake bite. Now, it may be part of a protocol sometimes to give you Benadryl when you get to the hospital, because in rare cases, Benadryl can help people that have an allergic reaction to a snake bite and it doesn't really hurt to give somebody Benadryl. But when you have a snake bite, you're not getting an allergic reaction. That's not an allergy. It's poison. And Benadryl does nothing to stop the the particular way that the venom from the snake attacks your cells. It may work for things like bee stings, but it's not going to work in any way for snake bites. So Don't even worry about it. Don't think about it. And and definitely don't think that that's the only treatment you need to give. You absolutely need to get medical attention immediately. And Benadryl will not save your life in a snake bite scenario. Next up, it's difficult to find campgrounds if your RV is over 10 years old. We see a lot of people asking about this when they're looking to buy their first RV, particularly when they're looking to buy a used RV uh, even if they're looking to buy one that's four or five years old, they're thinking, well, I have less time to use it. Am I going to be able to use it? All right. So is this true? Yes and no. The 10-year rule that you may have heard about it or may not, but there's this uh, thing that a lot of RV parks do, and it does exist, called the 10-year rule. And, and what it is is a, a way for them to say, we don't want junky RVs in our RV park, right? So they may have a rule that says uh, no RVs of 10 years or older. They're a very popular park. They don't care if people that have nice RVs that are over 10 years old, and there are some really nice RVs that are over 10 years old. They, they just don't care if they're going to put the rule in place and they're going to say, hey, now we don't care about it. Uh, sometimes it is part of their insurance requirements that they do that sometimes. And let me tell you something. It's really hard for campgrounds in some areas to get insurance. I've talked to campground owners who say in their area, there is one, one insurer who specializes in campgrounds. And if they have specific things that they want, like no RVs over 10 years old or no dogs or no dogs of a certain breed or no campfires or whatever it might be, they're going to get it, you know, uh, or this campground may be getting a big break on their insurance because of something like that. Anyway, the 10 year rule does exist. Now, a lot of campgrounds only enforce it when they want to turn somebody away because they don't like the condition of their RV. It's a little bit classist, I think in some scenarios, but it's the campgrounds prerogative. And, uh, Uh, often if your RV is older than 10 years old, you can just show them a picture of it and and you'll be fine if it is in good shape. Now, how often are you going to run into these issues if you have an RV over 10 years old? Well, you're never going to run into it in a federal or state park, any public lands, first of all. You're never going to run into it in any of those places. They're not going to care about that there. In RV parks, I'd say... You might run into it about 10% of the time. And mostly that's going to be at the very high end resorts. You're going to run into it a little more often for monthly stays. So some parks may be fine with any RV coming in for a day or two. But when it comes to monthly stays, they're a little bit pickier. And here's why. They get saddled with RVs that gets stuck there and never move. So somebody moves into an RV park for monthly stays and they, they're in an older RV. They just decide to leave it there when they're done with it. And then that RV park has to deal with it in some sort of way. So that's a big reason why a lot of these places implement that. Also, they just, you know, they have a particular way they want the park to look and that's it. You know, that's, that's their decision. So it does exist it exists more in uh, the more popular areas, especially the more popular winter areas. You're going to run into this rule more often in southern Arizona, in southern California, and in Florida than anywhere else in the country. You're going to run into it a decent amount in Oregon and Washington as well. Uh, I have never seen it, never seen it in the Midwest. I'm sure it exists. I've never seen the 10 year rule in the Midwest. And I always read all the campground rules. That's just sort of my thing. So, so yes, it exists. Uh, I'm not a big fan of it, but it's out there and it is something that you might run into, but you'll be able to camp wherever. If you have to buy an RV that is older, you'll definitely be okay. Unless you're really looking to be stationary in Arizona or something like that. I wouldn't worry about it at all. It's time for the final myth. And this is a big one. There's a lot of conversation that happens over this one and a lot of confusion. You're out camping on BLM land, Bureau of Land Management land, out in the middle of Nevada somewhere. Can you dump your gray water on the ground? After all, there's a reason we separate gray water from black water, right? Why else would we separate the two? At the campground, we're dumping into one thing. At a dump station, we're dumping into one thing. Why are we separating the two? The point being that we can dump the gray water in, in places that you couldn't dump black water. So is it okay to dump your gray tank on the ground, especially in public lands? The answer is, gosh, it really depends. <laughs> and it's it, you're, you're going to have to find out the answer on whatever public lands you are in. But here's something really interesting that I found out about Bureau of Land Management land. Bureau of Land Management is the largest uh, landowner in the U.S. And this is specifically about Bureau of Land Management land in Arizona. right. So this is from RVTravel.com. They reached out to the Bureau of Land Management to get more information on this. And what they found is that this question is entirely dependent on state law. Even though it's on federal land, the laws that govern this are the state laws in whatever state that you are in. And in the state of Arizona, RV gray water is actually black water. And let me explain why. Gray water is supposed to be wash water, right? It's water we use to take showers. It's water we used to wash dishes and wash our hands and, and all that sort of stuff. And certainly, if you are tent camping and you have wash water that you're, you're washing a dish with, you can absolutely dump that on the ground. And there are processes for the way that you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to dig a little hole and only pour it out a certain amount of time and and let it drain so that it doesn't uh, contaminate the area. But RVs have a kitchen sink in them and water from kitchen sinks or dishwashers in the state of Arizona are not classified as wash water. It's actually classified as sewage. And I, I don't know the specific reasons, but I imagine it has to do with the fact that maybe you're like washing meat or, you know, pouring down food garbage or whatever it might be. But water from your kitchen sink is technically not black water, at least in the state of Arizona. And you could be subject to Arizona laws. And Arizona is one of the biggest winter boondocking places where people are right now outside of quartzite. Uh, All sorts of places that people are, are boondocking right now in Arizona. Technically, you're not supposed to put your gray water on the ground. You're supposed to go to a dump station in your RV. So the answer to that question isn't entirely clear, but I think a lot of people thought it was clear that you could dump your gray water pretty much wherever as long as you were away from people and that you did it in the proper way. It's not always the case and you want to check local regulations wherever you are. Okay, that is the RV myth busting segment for this week. I'm sorry, Abby couldn't be here for it, but but I'm going to bring her back for the final segment of the show in a minute. We're going to take a break and we're going to have the new brain teaser and we're going to have our fresh tank black tank segment. We'll be right back.
1: Harvey Miles is brought to you today by our friends over at Harvest Hosts. Have you been considering a Harvest Hosts membership? Well, now is the perfect time to sign up because Harvest Hosts is offering their biggest discount ever. From now until the end of the year, save 20% off a yearly membership. With access to a network of 900 wineries, farms, breweries, museums, and other unique attractions that invite RVers to visit and stay overnight, Harvest Hosts makes the perfect holiday gift for the RVer in your life. Visit our show notes at rvmiles.com 122 for the link and promo code that will get you 20% off your Harvest Host membership. And if that wasn't enough, that 20% will stay with you for the life of your membership. So every year you renew you'll save 20%. Head over to rvmiles.com for a link and promo code or visit our Facebook group, RV Miles, and find the info there. This offer is only valid till the end of 2019. So grab your membership today.
0: All right. I'm back with my special guest, Kathleen Turner.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I've been downstairs doing a puzzle waiting for you to call me back up here.
0: Abby, it is time for our fresh tank, black tank segment. Uh, I hope yours are quick.
1: <laughs> I have so much to say, but I'm going to have to just say it through my eyes.
0: <laughs> That'll be effective. Yeah, on a
1: podcast. I'm going to give. yeah, I'm going to give real hard stares on how I feel about things.
0: Let's start off with your black tank. What's your black tank this week?
1: Just being sick. I got nothing. Like my brain doesn't want to work. So we sat here for the longest time and I kept saying, I don't know. I don't, can I just not do a black tank this week? I've got a puzzle downstairs waiting for me. Like what, what do you want me to do here? And you're like, just say you're sick. So I'm sick. That's my black tank this week. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: I hope you don't try to wash out that black tank with a bag of
1: phones. I don't want to talk. I you know what? I've been looking over the show notes and I can only imagine how enlightening your conversation was with yourself
0: <laughs> earlier. What is your fresh tank?
1: Uh so I'm going to go ahead and fresh tank The Rise of Skywalker. Look, I know this is coming out before the movie even comes out. We're going on Friday. We have tickets for Friday You know it's going to
0: be your fresh tank next week. Why are you making
1: it your fresh tank this week? Because I'm going to go ahead and just Rotten Tomatoes this at like 99%. So they, I saw this chart earlier, like last night when I was scrolling through Facebook at like 1.30 in the morning, and it showed sort of the Rotten Tomatoes ratings of all of the Star Wars movies. Yeah. And this is including the prequels, right? Yeah. Yeah. you want to take a guess where uh Phantom Menace landed on Rotten Tomatoes?
0: I'm going to guess 53%.
1: Oh, you saw that same graph. <laughs>
0: dead,
1: you are so annoying.
0: <laughs> you know what?
1: I, okay. Yoda
0: <laughs> just forced that one. You know, and I saw, I, I, the prequels, you know, I don't know. They're watchable. Uh, Are they, Jason?
1: Because I disagree. Well, his, because I saw
0: episode two in the IMAX. I know
1: you always.
0: Did I talk about this on the podcast yes, already? Yes, this is a
1: story. I'm sure you have. This is a story that you really love to break out when we start talking about prequels because it makes a case for how the prequels can be good.
0: Well, no, it, they could be good if they were. This is the thing. You don't have a, a writer, producer, editor. All in one, you know, you need to have somebody that can fix these things.
1: No, that's not when you want
0: a triple threat. And it was over bloated. And the, the IMAX cut was 20 minutes shorter. Yeah. And it was so, so much better.
1: But they cut out all the kissing. They yeah. Cut out and the rolling daddy. around in
0: the fields. Yeah, and
1: the talking about, like, when they were in
0: high school. A whole, so, a whole so scene weird. of Anakin with, his, with, with Padme's so parents. It was weird.
1: Yeah, it's very, it, it makes a lot of sense. And so, yeah, so, but what's interesting to me is of all the first three prequels, and let's, we could do a whole podcast on Star Wars, but what's interesting to me is that, The Phantom Menace is about the only one I can tolerate. And it's the one that has the lowest Rotten Tomatoes score. And like, if you've never been over to Rotten Tomatoes, it's RottenTomatoes.com. And it's sort of just their rating of where a movie is going to land. And it's fresh. It's a fresh tomato. If it's got a higher scoring, the lower the scoring, the lower the percentage, the
0: more rotten the movie is. You
1: like that one the best? Of the three, I do. I like it, Little Anakin. It's about
0: a trade dispute and a and a NASCAR race.
1: Right. Well, what? you know what? I don't need a lot to be entertained. <laughs> I don't like the Gungans. Well, I they're half the movie. I, know. So. There's, I mean, there's a lot of things that are problematic. I mean, we could talk for a really long time about the use of accents in that movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but I can tolerate it because it does not have Hayden Christensen. It's young Anakin. Uh, you know... We get his mom a little bit. Uh, We get some Liam Neeson who does his best like Jedi impression of like, you know, give me my daughter back or I will, you know, (laughs) end your life sort of
0: dialogue. Here's my theory is that George Lucas's dialogue has always been terrible. And it's not all written by George Lucas in all the movies, but most of the dialogue in most of the Star Wars movies has been terrible. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But when the actors are good actors, they sell it.
1: Yes and no. I mean, you have to wonder a little bit about Mark Hamill's ability to sell some of that dialogue. I mean, I think there's a reason why when parodies of Star Wars are done, the, you know, of four, five, six, uh, Hamill is usually dubbed as sort of like a whiny. Well, I mean, the know, character I, is a whiny
0: teacher. The, teenager. Yes, so that's, it's that's, hard to you know. do a
1: whole lot. But with when that, you put but. somebody
0: like Hayden Christensen in, who I just cannot handle the dialogue. I yeah. Mean,
1: I mean, I don't know how much of that is his fault. I mean, you know, um, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah, not his fault. It's it, bad. Dialogue. It's bad. It's you bad.
0: Gregor and Liam Neeson could turn it into something.
1: I just, I wish I had been in the room when they did the first read through of that script. Cause you know, that's one of the things I'm oh, always. Oh,
0: George. That's yeah, fantastic. George. Good job. Good job.
1: I just, no, I really wish I could have been. Please sign for my th- paycheck. Right. Like, I mean, I I could have been there for that round table. Like they all, you know, when you get a script, you sit down at the table for the first time. It's your read through. You do nothing else before you read the script. Well, here's the
0: thing. Did you know that Liam Neeson actually signed on without reading the script?
1: I do because he wouldn't have signed on if he had read that script. (laughs) This is a long way around the bend to say that everything wraps up on Friday. You know, here we come to the end of what has been 40 years of my life in and out of the star Wars universe. I had so many feels on these trailers that keep coming out. I don't know how many people are flying the millennium Falcon in this movie, but so far I've counted like four different people behind the wheel. So I, it's just, they're going to, they're going to throw out all the stops. I'm fresh tanking it for this week. Awesome. And I'll probably fresh tank it next week too. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Jay, what's your black tank this week? So
0: yeah, all right. We, we talk, we talk every week about the state of the RV industry. Do Was, we? The wall street <laughs> journal is is getting into the mix here a little bit.
1: Oh wow. They're paying attention.
0: There's a massive article in the wall street journal and it's about how the RV industry can be saved. All for two years ago, it's like the biggest industry out there. It's the only American manufacturing that's doing well and they take a little dip and all of a sudden it needs to be saved. But anyway, this whole article is about how glamping is going to save the RV industry. Get because, out of here with us. Because young RVers want to glamp.
1: No, they and don't. And
0: glampers are going to save the RV industry.
1: There will never be one demographic that saves anything. I I'm think sorry. That, well, I think, like, that's I, just
0: not possible. Do they just mean younger people that camp are glampers? How how do younger people camp differently than older people? I don't, I don't understand. know. I but guess when they all, all drive our RVs to a campground and park it and that's it.
1: Well, but they're talking about a form of glamping that is. Well, I'm see, this is where I struggle with this, because I see glamping in some ways as these really she she tents and the treehouse yeah. experience and these really great sort of that pull you out of the RV. Right. That aren't necessarily RV experiences. Now, if we're talking RV glamping, then we're talking in my view, we're talking resort camping. We're talking expensive camping. We're yeah. talking amenities that you want. The whole idea is that you're, you know, you, it's like when you go to get a glow up,
0: right. You and, know, you, you're going up a level. And I think actually older people do more of that than younger people.
1: Right. I mean, but, cause they make it rain for the right. most part.
0: <laughs> I mean, but you know, I, I think, I think what this boils down to is, RVing is glamping, right? I mean, let's just be honest. It's it's not camping in a tent. It's bringing right, your house I, with you. RVing is glamping. It's, right.
1: If you want to get back to what the roots of camping is supposed right. to be, like where it all started. So then, yeah. So RVing is the next level up. I do not know. And I guess I don't really care to know. I personally find the term glamping sort of repulsive. I just... <laughs> everything about it. And I, I don't begrudge anyone who wants to say, Oh, look, I'm going to go glamping or look, Oh, look at all these things I need to glamp. What go do you? I'm just telling you that from my perspective, that's not what this lifestyle is supposed to be about. If you are looking to reconnect with nature, if you're looking to unplug, if you're looking to get away from it all, that means you're looking to leave all of the quote unquote comforts behind
0: You know, a lot of people are looking for a lot of different things when it comes to RVing. Yeah, but this is very right. I think what this comes down to is that people are just starting to realize that, hey, RVs are actually nice on the inside.
1: RVs are cool.
0: And they think that, I don't know, up until now that they were just trash on the inside. Well,
1: they probably all thought they looked like an episode of Breaking Bad. Yeah. I mean, so RVing is cool. And I think that, and RVing in the sense of like, whatever that means to you, if... RVing to you means a tent, you know, in the sense of like, you know, you get a little pop up. Hey, that's super cool. If RVing to you means like tricked out, you know, $2.2 million class A. Hey, that's cool too. I just find the term glamping. It just, it frustrates me because I think it puts a level of expectation on this industry. That's just, we don't need
0: it. Uh, It's just a bad, it's just all about spending more money and you
1: know, come on at some point. Just be done with spending money on stuff. Clearly, I just went off on like, a, I know you're like, and I'll talk okay. about my fresh
0: tank now. <laughs> yes. Yes, I will. I Can will do I that. I get now. you
1: some NyQuil? Like, yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> All right. Here is here's the, the big breaking news that you're going to hear in the coming week, likely, or in the coming two weeks.
1: I just, I think, too, before you say this, I would like it noted that I called this. Yeah. I called this. Well, like you and last.
0: a lot of you and a lot of people.
1: Me and like four million of my closest national park friends called
0: this. White Sands National Monument will be the next national park of the United States of America.
1: Sixty second. It
0: is on its way. The house uh, Where did
1: it get stuck into? Like what bill? <laughs> well deep buried down inside some bill somewhere.
0: Absolutely. That is yep, exactly that's exactly what, what's exactly what has happened.
1: That's what Schoolhouse Rock says. That's how it happens.
0: The House of Representatives approved a defense spending measure on Wednesday that includes language to change the the classification of White Sands National Monument to White Sands National Park. And the president has said he'll sign the measure and it's expected to pass the Senate sometime next week. It is absolutely happening. And now let's remember all it means when a national monument changes to a national park is the name, name, the name changes. That's it. That's, that's it. It, is, uh, it has become a congressional designation instead of a, a presidential designation. And, uh, and that's it. There's no difference in funding. Now, what does often happen, and this is why for some people, this is not a fresh tank, but I think it's a good thing overall. Some people think uh, it's a bad thing to name some more places national parks because it increases the number of people that go to them.
1: White Sands was already an incredibly popular Absolutely. destination. I don't think that that's going to change for it. what I'm going to ask you I'm going to put you on the spot here sixty three what's next?
0: well, I think we we talked about this on the um on the America's national parks podcast and the in the news from the parks uh, there I wasn't
1: a part of that there's that episode. A, there's
0: a big push to make New River Gorge a national park slash preserve, and it seems like that's very possible that that will happen.
1: See, I'm going to call out Glen Canyon.
0: Uh, you can call it all you want, but call Glen, Glen Canyon?
1: Yeah. Into a national park instead of a national recreation area. It's, there's so much to it. You don't
0: think so? I don't think so, Tim.
1: Yeah, so? <laughs> I think Glen Canyon, Bandelier, that would be up there high on my list. These
0: are, these are places that you think should become a national park. Not that will
1: right, but I also thought White Sands would yeah. become a national park. Well,
0: so here's what happened up in Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore this year: that the name change alone increased visitorship by twenty percent this year.
1: Yeah, it also increased the amount of people talking about it in our Facebook right. group and complaining that it's a national park.
0: <laughs> but without any additional funding, without any additional personnel, yeah, more visitors. And, and so, I'll, I'll
1: pee- the national park magic is true. Yeah. There will be more people that come. Yeah. Now, whether or not, you know, White Sands is already equipped to handle that because they're already pretty busy. I don't know. I can't say I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not in the department meetings.
0: My personal feeling is that we need to redo the naming system entirely.
1: Just call them all national parks and be done with well, it.
0: Any, I think any of them that are multi-featured, need to be national parks. And that's,
1: you know, one of my reasons with Glen Canyon,
0: a national monument should be something that is just a single feature. Like, uh, like devil's tower. Sure. That's a national monument. Uh, Mount Rushmore is a national monument.
1: You would say that then about Bandelier, but there's so much more to Bandelier than just that one particular area that it was named for a national monument because of that.
0: But actually, but exactly because of of that reason, I would call it a national park because it's more than that.
1: But I'm guessing that Devil's Tower has more to it than just
0: that one. This is my argument for why I'm okay with Gateway Arch being a national park.
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on because there.
0: it's also got the, the old courthouse, which is yeah. actually more important than the arch itself. Yeah, there's a uh, lot going
1: yeah. on in that park.
0: Anyway, right. that that is absolutely going to happen. Congratulations. Uh, so to you White can Sands. expect White Sands to be the 62nd National Park. That's our fresh tank black tank segment. It is time for this week's brain teaser. Are you ready? Yes. I know you can't wait to hear this. And answer it because of your Kathleen Turner voice. (laughs)
1: Because she's so good at brain teasers.
0: There are 794 letters that make up the words for the numbers 1 through 99. There are 10 letters of the alphabet that make no appearance in all of these words. Can you name them all? Now, this sounds harder than it is. It's really not that hard to, because, you know. Because all the 90s have the same. All the 80s have the same. So there are 794 letters in all the words that make up 1 through 99. 10 letters of the alphabet are not used in any of those words. Can you name them all? If you think you know the answer, go over to the show notes at rvmiles.com slash one two three this is episode 123 or go over to rvmiles.com slash brain teaser and enter your answer there's a little form at the bottom of the show notes and on, on the brain teaser page as well and we'll select a winner at random from the top answers to win a rv miles t-shirt
1: now before we run off I have saved my voice because I wanted to make sure we get this in. We have the cell service segment back. We have been forgetting to talk about this the last couple of podcasts, but what we would love to do is we would really love to hear from you about what some of your travel and adventure resolutions are for 2020. You know, we are just weeks away from celebrating a new year, and that's the time that we all kind of look towards our travels and what we want to do or just make goals for ourselves. And we would really love to have an episode that's not so much about our goals and our travel destinations, but what about you guys out there, those of you that also enjoy this lifestyle? So we would like to hear from you, and it's kind of a quick turnaround. We'd like to do this episode in the next week week or two but if you are up to talking to a voicemail you will not have to talk to us i promise we will not answer the phone just call 773 769 7769 and leave a message for us It's about 30 to 60 seconds and share with us just what you're looking forward to in 2020 we'd love to have you on a future podcast
0: episode say that number one more time
1: 773 769 Seven, seven, six, nine.
0: All right. We'll put it in the show notes. Yes, please so. put it in
1: the show notes.
0: <laughs> All right. That's this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it, everybody. We are so glad to have you here each and every week. And until next week.
1: Keep blogging those RV miles.
0: Bye, everybody.